millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a podcast by The Local, all about the news and big talking points around Germany. It's the first episode of 2023 and we haven't been around for a few weeks, so we're going to squeeze a lot in today, starting with a high profile resignation in the German government and what it means. New Year's Eve was a few weeks ago, but Germany is still talking about it. And it's been bringing up various debates about violence, about racism, about integration. So we'll explain what's going on. We'll talk about some cool new international train routes starting this year. Thankfully, there are not a lot of COVID rules left in Germany and there are about to be less. So we'll let you know about a few changes coming up. And the first draft of the long-awaited German citizenship reform is being circulated among the German cabinet at the moment. We'll dig into the proposed language requirements you'll likely need in future and the reaction to the first draft of the law. Plus, stick around until the end where we'll talk about ways to beat the January blues in Germany, including some tips on how to go skiing on a budget. I'm your host, Rachel Loxton, and I'm joined in Berlin today by journalists Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. And I'll also talk to Birgit Schneider, who is a German teacher with the Goethe Institute later on. Very good to have you back today, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be back. Did you have a nice break? Yeah, well, I actually got back to England for a week, which was absolutely lovely. I didn't actually make it there for Christmas because I heard there were these border strikes on. So I was hoping mm -hmm. to be really, really clever and avoid those. And the day before I flew, I actually found out that the train strikes were on and that I couldn't get oh, from no. Gatwick to the southwest of England. So it was a stressful start to the holiday, but really, really nice to be back for a bit. But I'm actually, I'm very happy to be back in Berlin as well. It's really, really lovely to be back here with you guys. Good to hear. Yeah, and Christmas here was glorious, and I did have the chance to get some winter sun in Tenerife, Whereas it turns out, you will find plenty of signage and menus in Spanish, English, and yes, German as well. And the flight back to Berlin was full of young German families with lots <laughs> and lots of children. And definitely a favorite place for Germans to get some winter sun as well. Not just me, but it's nice to be back in Berlin. If you guys, even though we have 10 centimeters of snow in the forecast, we'll yeah. see if those predictions are right. But that's starting to get into Canadian levels of snow. Goodness, so, well, it has been really mild recently, yeah. so we're going to see a lot of snow maybe. But winter is back, and here we are. Let's start off by talking about who's been making the news in Germany this week. And um, we're turning to politics because Christina Lambrecht, who's from the Social Democrats, the party of Chancellor Olaf Scholz, has had a bit of a rough time of it, and she's now resigned as the defence minister. Adam, what's going on there? 
Well, to start off, being defense minister is one of the hardest jobs in German politics, no matter who does it. Sometimes called the ejector seat because whoever sits there uh, might have their political ambitions dashed pretty quickly. And that's simply because as minister, you have to talk a lot about things that many Germans don't culturally like addressing, like military force or war. It's obviously also a hard job to have now when you're having to sort out military equipment to send to Ukraine. That said, Christina Lambrecht was, by many expert accounts, just incompetent for this role. Many independent experts suggested she had completely lost the confidence of German military staff. But she was also prone to small scandals, which really didn't help things either. She blamed the media in her resignation statement, but it was ultimately her choice. For example, bring her son along in a military helicopter on an official trip in northern Germany before continuing on a private vacation with him in Silt. Uh, and then, yeah, it's certainly a choice. <laughs> and she made another uh, choice, shall we say, which uh, on New Year's Eve, for example. Okay, well, what does New Year's Eve have to do with it then? Well, so Lambrecht posted a video on New Year's Eve in Berlin with fireworks going off all around her, talking about war in Europe amidst the sound of celebratory rockets almost drowning her out. So you can see how some people oh might consider this a bit tone deaf, just to begin with. And that's before we get into what she actually said. She said this year was challenging, but she was able to meet with many interesting special people. And there's nary a word in there of sympathy for Ukraine's current struggle, for example. It was so bad that word is she already told Chancellor Schultz two days later that she intended to resign uh, even though we're just finding out about this now. That is really, really strange uh, choices from her there. Yeah. Yeah, and who's taking over as the new defence minister, Imogen? So we have been really, really curious to find out who this is going to be. Obviously, as Aaron said, really, really big time for German defence politics right now, for the military. And we actually found out this week that it's going to be a guy by the name of Boris Pistorius. He's actually an SPD veteran. He's been in the party since he was 16 years old, and he's in his 60s now. And and he is currently interior minister in Lower Saxony. So he's kind of a regional politician at the moment. Who's yeah, not really a big name. Not a big name at all. He's not someone that's known abroad. He's not even known that much in Germany. Um, but we've heard that he's got a reputation in Lower Saxony for kind of getting the job done. One thing that he doesn't have experience in, which you might expect him to, is sort of the whole military brief, the whole sort of defence politics side of things. But he has been uh, praised for reforming the police and sort of strengthening the police force in Lower Saxony and strengthening community outreach. So that might sort of feed into the role uh, that he's taking on. One thing that is quite significant about this is that his appointment has officially ended the gender parity in the cabinet. So that was a key promise that Schultz made when he took office. He was going to have a balance of men and women. Um, oh, interesting. Exactly. In cabinet, yeah. in cabinet um, and they had to actually exclude uh, Schultz from the numbers in order to get that uh, get oh, that so parity in the, the rules yeah. a little bit. It's a little bit of sort of uh, creative accounting, shall we say. Um, <laughs> but uh, with Lambrecht gone now and Pistorius taking the defence brief, there's now nine men and seven women in the cabinet, which a fair few women in the SPD aren't too happy about. 
including because there were even potential candidates uh, like Eva Hogel who could have potentially taken uh, that role. But now we also have somebody who isn't even a member of the Bundestag. So there's a big question mark hanging over this appointment for mm-hmm. the moment. Yeah. Interesting. And what kind of challenges is he going to face? Well, there are quite a few at the moment. And obviously, the war in Ukraine is the major one. Uh, So there are a lot of kind of questions at the moment about the German level of support for the Ukraine. The major question is, will uh, Germany send sort of heavy um, artillery, tanks? It doesn't look like much is going to change on that front uh, with Pistorius sort of in the driving seat. I think Schultz is still quite keen to kind of hold off on this and is putting the brakes on that. The other major challenge, um, which I think will be the main bulk of Pistorius's job, um, will be working out how to spend the 100 billion special fund for the army that Schultz announced uh, last year. Uh, so the Bundeswehr, I think it's common knowledge that it's in a bit of a state right now. And there are estimates that They'll need about 20 billion of that just for artillery. So the question is, how's he going to spend it? And will he be able to turn the Bundeswehr around and sort of turn it into a 21st century kind of fighting force, which is something that the government have said they want to do in light of the changed sort of international situation? That's a lot of pressure. It's a full yep. inbox. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't know if I would want to do that job. No. Not that I'm being asked. It's a lot of people who don't want to do that job. That sometimes <laughs> why it's hard to find candidates for it. The ejector seat. Talking of New Year's Eve, Sylvester has left a big impression on everyone this year. On our last episode, we talked about how Germany goes absolutely wild with fireworks. It's a big tradition here. But there has been a lot of discussion since then about how to deal with violence with fireworks. But more than that, it's also veered into talk about integration, about racism and about how Germany perceives foreigners and people with a migration background. Aaron, can you give us an overview of what's going on? So, Rachel, New Year's Eve is always a mess in Germany. It's something that we've talked about before. There's always some injuries. There's always a few apartments that go up in flames due to errant rockets. Uh, What is new this year, though, are the rash of attacks against emergency services. We haven't seen it to this kind of way before, so police, fire, and paramedics. And we're now getting some new numbers about just how many of those attacks there were, which is part of why we're still talking about it. There were 282 reported attacks across Germany on New Year's Eve, and those are just the ones we know about. Uh, In all probability, the actual number is most likely higher. A good third of those attacks, the highest number, were in Berlin. Conservatives, so Christian Democrats, jumped on that. They said the biggest problems were concentrated in neighborhoods like Berlin's Neukölln, where you have a lot of people from a migration background. Uh, Influential Christian Democrats then alleged that many migrants to Germany, particularly from the Middle East, uh, simply don't have respect for the German state, and emergency services are wearing the uniform of the state or German laws. Mm -hmm. Uh, Berlin's mayor, Franziska Giffey, countered that, and she said that those arrested were Kinder aus dem Kiez, so kids from the neighborhood, and that the problem was youth violence spurred on by poverty or a lack of opportunity among youth in Germany from a migration background. Mm -hmm. So all in all, New Year's Eve ended with an ongoing debate about migration and racism in Germany. And we have seen quite a few different arrest figures going about. Um, what's, What's that all about? Well, that's also one of 
of the reasons why it's hard for us to even identify what precisely is going on here. We have one report that indicated that 145 people were arrested in Berlin uh, from 18 different nationalities. And this report uh, says that a good third of those were German, uh, but that also that there was a relatively high number of Afghans and Syrians uh, arrested, according to that particular report. But then we have another that says that the arrest figure was actually quite a bit lower, that it was around 38, and that most of the arrests were of Germans. So uh, when you have differing reports like that, it's hard to figure out what precisely was going on. If the first report was right, and there are all of these nationalities arrested, with numbers like that, it is fair for conservatives to ask questions about whether German law is being respected. But we also have to remember that this is a small fraction of Germany's refugee population or migration background population. We've also talked on this podcast before about whether the German education system is unfair. So this would have a lot to do with the youths that may have been arrested who are German from migration backgrounds. And even though they were born here and speak German at a native level, they often have less opportunities sometimes because of the education system that we've talked about here before. So what this debate often misses is that you can have many different routes to a problem, but it's hard for us to know what it is. Imogen, are you surprised by how this has played out? No, not not really. Unfortunately, this is something that we have seen time and time again in Germany. You know, whether it's a social debate or whether it's the debate that we've seen about reforming the citizenship law, we tend to see certain groups of foreigners or migrant populations, um, particularly people from the Middle East and, and African countries, uh, kind of pigeonholed as antisocial or, you know, criminal and sort of to blame for all society's ill. This definitely isn't the case across all parties, and this certainly is nowhere near everyone in Germany, but it's certainly something that we have heard relatively often from parties, sort of migrant skeptic parties like the uh, CDU and the AfD. Another side to this is that the CDU, um, who are the conservatives in opposition right now, I think needed or felt they needed to find a way to capitalize on this chaos of New Year's Eve. They don't seem to quite be sure what their strategy should be, though. So at first they said, oh, this is a, you know, this is a rule of law thing and people don't respect the authorities. And then leader Friedrich Merz appeared on a popular talk show and actually sort of went in the other direction and said it was more of a migrant issue. So he actually insinuated that people of Arab descent were kind of to blame for bringing German society down. Mm-hmm. The problem here is that there's a bit of tension between these kind of two sides to to German politics and to the migration debate. On the one hand, uh, the country really, really needs to attract migrants. It needs foreign workers. It wants to have a kind of positive, um, create this positive environment and make it easier to get things like visas. On the other hand, you know, debates like this, which, you know, this has gone on for for weeks now, Mm -hmm. um, they're not exactly going to make uh, the majority of, of foreigners feel that welcome. Absolutely. And as you said, yeah, it's been on talk shows. We're still seeing op-eds in newspapers about the topic. Do we think Germany will ban the private sale of fireworks? Could the fireworks be the problem here? Or well, one of the problems? <laughs> Perhaps one of them. Um, there's certainly um, some campaigners who, who want this. There's a big petition going around, which, by the way, I haven't signed because I'm, I really enjoy fireworks. So I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's definitely where some people are laying the blame. 
Will they be banned? Mm, it's a debate they've definitely been having uh, for some years, and especially since COVID, when we had sort of a few years of relative quiet. I don't think it was exactly the... Um, was it really? <laughs> wasn't the complete blackout that they were I hoping mean, for. I mean, people just went over to Poland and bought rockets <laughs> and brought them here. I don't know what it was like in the rest of Germany. But... It wasn't quite the, the sort of proverbial war zone of, of this year, I don't think, but it was, uh, yeah, it def- definitely wasn't as silent as it should have been. It remains a good question. But probably one that we're going to have for a while yet. You know, every year we have this debate in Germany. Every year, it's should we ban these? Long before we had this year happen and, and the attacks on emergency services and then this ensuing debate about migration, long before we ever had that, we had injuries every year. We had apartments go up in flames every year. Uh, none of those things are new. I agree. I think it's going to be, it's going to be Groundhog Day uh, for quite some time. Uh, there's a very <laughs> strong sort of informal pro-firework lobby from the people who just want their one day of anarchy a year as Germans. The one day you're allowed to follow no rules whatsoever. Um, and I, th- I think that's that's it's a like kind the, of cultural... It's like the German purge. It is. Yeah. A nationwide catharsis. And then you go back <laughs> yeah, to, to rule just by just can't be trusted. Just don't give people fireworks and then none of this will happen. What about sparklers? (laughs) I'll let you have sparklers. Sparklers we could be, yeah. We have some good news when it comes to travel. There are some great train routes launching this year, including a night train that should make it easier to travel from Berlin to the UK. Aaron, what can you tell us about this? Well, Berlin is getting a direct overnight sleeper train to both Amsterdam and Brussels. And once you're in Brussels, you have a fairly decent Eurostar connection to the UK uh, for my British friends and boyfriend, as it turns out. So if you're headed from London to Berlin, you can grab a mid-afternoon Eurostar to Brussels, and then you have just over an hour in the Belgian capital before the sleeper train leaves for Berlin at 7.22 p.m. It'll stop in Antwerp, Rotterdam, and Amsterdam, and then after midnight, it's more or less a direct service to Berlin where you will wake up to breakfast just before 7 a.m. If you're headed in reverse, so Berlin to London, You'll be able to leave Berlin at around 11 o'clock in the evening and get off in either Amsterdam at around 6.30 a.m. or in Brussels just before 9.30 a.m. And then you can connect on to London, for example, with an easy Eurostar after that. When did you say that start in Aaron? Well, tickets are going to go on sale next month for the first journeys, which kick in on May 25th. That's when they're scheduled. Eventually, word is the train will become both a daily service. It'll start out three times a week in either in either direction. And then also in 2024, perhaps get extended to both Dresden and Prague. Good, Go great. a little further, yeah. Good stuff to look forward to. What about some other connections? Well, 2023 is shaping up to be an exciting year for train travel fans in Germany. Uh, and we have no shortage of those. <laughs> uh, on top of the European sleeper that we just talked about, Berlin is also getting a night train service to Stockholm. Mm, yeah, so we, we can visit say, head office. Yeah, we'll say hi to you guys in head office. See if you like having us. <laughs> the local head office. Yeah, the local head office. Yeah, fresh off the uh, the Berlin to Stockholm sleeper train. In September. Swedish Rail started up this train between Stockholm and Hamburg. But starting on March 31st, that route will get extended to Berlin. And what about the south of Germany? Do we have any good trains there? 
Okay, well, it's not just Berlin yes. <laughs> that's getting the <laughs> that's getting the good stuff here. Uh, let's not leave the south of Germany out. Both Stuttgart and Munich are getting new night jet and Euronight services from Austrian Rail, so you'll be able to travel by sleeper train from Stuttgart to places like Vienna, Budapest, uh, Ljubljana, Zagreb, and Venice. And there's a couple of extra Croatian destinations that are seasonal that are getting added to those. And from Munich, you can pass through Austria and you can wait up in Genoa or a host of other Italian cities like Ancona, for example. And we finally have new night trains starting up in Prague and heading to Zurich, but with some stops in both Berlin and Leipzig. This sounds absolutely brilliant. I'm thinking that 2023 will be the year of the train for me, guys. Mm. I'm thinking of taking the train from Berlin to Copenhagen at some point. I may try that Stockholm one as well. So it's a, it's a lovely route. And Michael, my boyfriend, is already you know texting me about when are we when are we going to book the <laughs> the overnighter to Stockholm, <laughs> get the deluxe room with the ensuite, which to be fair, I am also tempted by. Yeah, you're going to uh, be waiting up for when the tickets, when the pre-sale starts to book your deluxe carriage before anyone else. I think they go on sale in February, right? February, or where it is. No, I'll only wait for a ticket like that for a Madonna concert. Here, I'll just... (laughs) I'll just buy it like normal, but yes, I'll be excited. (laughs) Great. Thank you very much for that update. Now, let's talk about COVID rules because there are a few major things changing in Germany. Face masks will soon no longer be a requirement on long distance travel and the procedure for COVID tests is changing too. Is that right, Imogen? Yeah, that's right. So masks um, are ending on long distance trains and buses uh, from February 2nd and a number of states, uh, including Berlin, and Saxony are also going to be ending their mask wearing rules on their local public transport around the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's actually following on from quite a few states who've already announced that they're getting rid of their masks. It was sort of the one remaining rule that was affecting daily life and I think quite a few people had just decided that the rule didn't apply anymore anyway, at least in uh, Berlin. There has also been a really big change on the testing front. So for people who test positive for COVID, in many states they still need to self-isolate. Um, in many cases, this is for 10 days, but you can take a test on the fifth day and then you can get out of your isolation or leave your bedroom or any of those things. This test actually used to be free, but since Monday, so from since the 16th, you have had to pay for it. So that's, that's quite a significant change in a way, but quite a few states are kind of thinking about or have already ended mandatory COVID self-isolation. So it's unclear how how long we'll really need these tests for anyway. Really good to know. And does Health Minister Karl Lauterbach have anything to say about all of this? Well, Lauterbach has stressed that he believes the mask mandate should stay in place for when you come in contact with the health system. So hospitals, care homes, uh, those types of places, for example. As for everything else, there's not much he really can do here because a lot of the powers about whether to have a mask mandate or not really sit with the federal states, as Imogen was just saying, and many of them are going ahead with lifting these things anyway. Yeah, and I do see from my experience that uh, doctors' offices in in Germany, people really do still have to wear a mask. I saw like people being turned away, like go and buy a mask before you can come into the doctor's reception. So it seems pretty strict there, but people not wearing them so much on public transport, even Even when they are in place. Yeah. And that's set to to go in many places in, in, in February. It'll be the the doctor's office will be one of the only places where you'll sort of notice anymore very soon. 
Yeah. I mean, can you believe it's three years since the pandemic? We're in 2023 now. It was 2020. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are very much ready <laughs> for a return to normality now. Yeah. Um, the hard thing will just be remembering to bring a mask to the doctors and, in fact, the dentist as well, which you'd imagine. Are they going to get back your mask? <laughs> to cut some holes in it, I guess. <laughs> No, they're a little bit lax just because they can't, <laughs> they can't work <laughs> having visited the dentist myself. Great. Really good to know, guys. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The much-anticipated first draft of a law that will see German citizenship hurdles relaxed is currently being viewed by the German cabinet before it is debated in the Bundestag. One thing we want to focus on today is some of the proposed language requirements. So that's how well you will have to know the German language to become German. Imogen, what can you tell us about the draft law? Is it what we expected? Yeah, I'd say there were quite a few things that we've known about for a while uh, contained in there, lots of things that we were expecting and hoping to see. So the main thing that we've been reporting a lot on is dual nationality being allowed or to put it more accurately, the holding of multiple nationalities, so as many passports as you like. And the other major change that we sort of were expecting um, is that they want to reduce the amount of time you need to live in Germany to get citizenship from eight years to five. And in exceptional cases, so if someone speaks really good German, if they're really well integrated, then instead of six years of residency, they'll only need three. There are also some special carve-outs which should make it easier for certain groups to get citizenship. Uh, so that's especially people over 67 and people whose circumstances mean they've had less time to learn German, uh, for example. The other thing uh, that we saw in this draft is that they're looking at reducing the amount of time foreign parents have to live in Germany in order for their children to automatically get German citizenship. So at the moment, they have to be here for eight years, um, and that should hopefully be reduced to just five under the new law. Aaron, what are people saying about it so far? Well, people are excited. Uh, we've seen a lot of chatter uh, on social media, uh, certainly among our international friends just normally in, in the pub, for example, and also in letters that we receive uh, at the local about just how much internationals here in Germany are anticipating this law, many of whom have been here a long time and are just waiting for dual citizenship to be allowed. I have one friend from the U.S. who's been here for over 30 years who is just 
just waiting for this law to pass, for example. German conservatives have a lot of objections to this law, and that's left some people nervous. They're almost scared to get excited until the law finally does pass and, you know, not fail uh, at the 11th hour. Parliamentarians we've spoken to about this law keep reassuring us uh, that the naysayers simply just don't have enough votes anywhere, the Bundestag, the Bundesrat, whatever legislative chamber you want to talk about to stop this law. But we're still seeing a lot of nervous excitement, almost as if a lot of people really can't quite believe that this is really happening. Do we have any updates for the timeline about when this will happen? Well, the first step is for the Schultz cabinet and the ministries to provide feedback and come to an agreement. Uh, that's underway right now, and that'll probably last for another month or two, at which point we might finally be able to go through the draft law with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, we hear it's around 48 pages long, so we'll see what else is in there beside the real big ticket items. Our sources tell us the Bundestag will probably debate this around April uh, and pass it before summer break. When will it come into effect exactly, though? This, Good question. Yeah, this is, and this is a real open question at the moment, um, although some parliamentarians are likely to push for it. Uh, to come into effect as quickly as possible. Uh, Germany's bureaucracy often gets time to prepare for new changes, uh, and this is certainly a big change. Uh, we may end up seeing the new rules take effect after a couple of months after the new law is passed, or uh, possibly as late as the 1st of January 2024. Good updates. And what do we know about the language requirements, Imogen? Well, so far, not a huge amount is changing for most people. Uh, so the majority of applicants will still have to get that B1 language certificate. That's kind of lower intermediate conversational level. But there will be certain groups who have it easier. Uh, so people aged 67 and over will potentially be exempt from both the citizenship test and language test, or at least formal ones. And basically, they'll just have to prove that they can sort of converse with authorities without needing a translator there. A similar thing could apply to young people who fall on under a certain sort of hardship clause. So we don't know what that exactly means just yet, but potentially one idea we've heard is people who've had to care for elderly relatives um, and just haven't had the time to put into brushing up their German. Uh, so those people could also be exempt from the formal tests, potentially. For one group of applicants, though, the language requirements could actually get a bit harder. So as I mentioned, the fast-track citizenship is going to be reduced from six years to three, but there is a slight cap Instead of B2, uh, which you need at the moment, you might actually have to get C1, which is a pretty high bar because it's actually the level that you often need to study in German at a university. So it's really high fluency, really sort of advanced language skills there. So you actually have to sit exams, don't you? Yep. Uh, and you'll have to sit the B1 exam to get citizenship on the regular track. So after five years, there's a reading, writing, speaking and listening part of that exam and you need a score of 60 to pass. As Imogen said, B1 is lower intermediate. So uh, to take that, uh, you should be able to write simple work emails, read simple to intermediate texts on topics that you're familiar with. Basic interactions with the authorities uh, wouldn't be too difficult for you by then. And if you want fast track, so again, after three years, that C1 exam, 
that we're talking about also has a reading, writing, uh, speaking, and listening section. Uh, and you'll have to pass the speaking section individually. So there's the combined points that you need for writing, listening, and reading, but then you'll need uh, to pass the speaking section on its own, not averaged with, with everything else for C1. Uh, and C1 speakers can talk about all kinds of things, globalization, politics, skills in the workplace. So be prepared to be tested on a lot of difficult subjects. Great. And we will, of course, include the links in the show notes with stories on on what we've been talking about. And this is a good time to hear from Birgit Schneider, who is a German teacher with the Goethe Institute. And she's based in Berlin and has been teaching for 33 years. I started off by asking Birgit what kind of things people doing the B1 German language exam need to show. They need to show, first of all, communication skills. They need to be able to discuss a topic um, with the pros and cons. That sounds in, uh, easy, but it really is connected to your school system. Have you learned it in school or you haven't? So if you haven't, you have to make sure you catch up on that. Because the main part in the oral exam and in the written exam will be discussing a point. As I said, it sounds easy, but uh, when it comes to the point, it might not be so easy. The other thing is for the listening and the reading, you need to have reading skills, meaning you need to be acquainted or acquaint yourself with um, topics or everyday topics. That might be, uh, is it good to live in a Wohngemeinschaft? Is it good to live together with other people? That kind of things will be in the reading questions. And here, I also suggest you have to be familiar with the way the the questionnaires is. I mean, you need to know what is your goal in reading. You're not just reading, but you need to either take out information or you put in words or you put things together. So you have to be familiar with this. And that is no problem because you have a lot of model tests. You just open the internet. You go on either our Goethe.de page, but I'm sure you also find it on other pages and you look for B1 certificate and you will find I'd say some maybe not plenty but you will you will find some and you can go through and you get yourself or you make yourself familiar with uh, the the way the this exam goes in your experience is there any part of the b1 exam that students find particularly difficult yes and that is what you can't do on your own on the internet i mean the reading and the listening you can really try and do every day and be prepared but what's difficult to prepare is the oral and the writing. And here I would suggest to take a course. It might not be a long course where you practice. You need to practice to find ideas. If I tell you for a simple topic, is it this the most simple topic is very clear. It says there, I say this in German first, maybe, sollen Kinder mit 18 Jahren ausziehen. Should students leave their home when they're 18? It's a, it's a topic. You know, it's an everyday discussion. But you need to be able to, to say something to that topic. You have only, what, five, ten minutes. You're nervous. So you have to be able to come up with cause and cons in a very, very short time. And that mm -hmm. needs to be practiced before you enter the exam. And then I don't think it's so difficult. You write your, you talk about your own experience. You say what's for it, what's against it. You come to a conclusion, be it in writing or be it then in uh, the oral exam. Yeah, writing is even more difficult because time is shorter. 
Okay, okay. So you get a certain amount of time to to write. Yeah, it's only I say this in B1, is it 60 minutes? And in this 60 minutes, you have you have to write three different kind of writings. There is an argumentation, what I just said, and uh, and then there's a letter and there's a formal letter. So you have to be able to write, a, uh, to answer three different questions, to write three different little essays, to say so, yeah? And without practicing that before, that's difficult. Absolutely. Um, and under the proposed changes to citizenship rules in Germany, people who want fast track citizenship would have to have C1 level German instead of B2, which is the current requirement. What kind of things do learners have to know to have C1 German? It is a higher level. There is between B1, B2, I don't think the differences are so very big. But between B2 and C1, it is. C1 exam, as it is right now, is not a modular uh, exam. So if you fail in one part, you fail the whole exam, which is a total stress on people. That should be changed, but that can take a while. So you have to have good nerves to enter a C1 exam. The C1 is on a higher level. I would say it is a more academic level. The questions are not so everyday questions. You have to come up with much more ideas. For example, they might ask you uh, more or less, uh, you talk about early childhood education. And that is, it, it doesn't give you, it's not such a concrete question as I pointed the question before. Here you come up with more um, academic or more sophisticated answers. There you need more fantasy and you just need more knowledge. If I ask you then in this exam, so what do you think is the disadvantages of ordering food? You can't answer, I don't know. You have to come up with ideas what might be the disadvantages of ordering food. And, and there is no help. It's just you coming up with that in five minutes. That's what you have. That's the time to prepare. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about a fast track, I'd say, yeah, but that would really make a difference between academic immigration and non-academic immigration. Okay. And yeah. And how long might it take to get C- C1 German? I know it differs between people. It differs very much from your background. If you come from a Germanic language or a Roman language, I think if you might be able to reach it in six months five to six months. If you come from a uh, non-European language, it might take you six up to eight months. Okay. Yeah. There's also people who make it in five. Yeah, definitely. But that's sort of the average. That's intense, isn't it? That would be, yeah, that would be in a course that has at least, uh, let's say, 20 hours per week. We offer 25, which I think is best because then you really jump into the German language. The more time you spend in a German language bathtub, put it that way, the better. (laughs) Absolutely. So just immerse yourself. Yeah. And the problem is if you just come here and think, oh, I am in Germany, I can learn German. No, unfortunately, Germans like to speak English. So first question, you are able to ask anybody in your beginner German, they will answer English, even if your German is perfect. (laughs) <laughs> and that's a, yeah, well, that's a difficulty. It's true, yeah. So I, I don't know how to get around that. You have to find a person, a course, a group where you say, okay, now we are speaking German. 
Our Germany in Focus podcast is free to listen to, but it's made possible by people becoming members of the local Germany. If you're not yet a member, you can head on over to the local.de and subscribe with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at the local.de forward slash podcast offer. Now, we are still in the depths of winter here, and January seems like a very long month. It's very dark and grey. So today we're asking, how do Germans beat the January blues, and can we join them? Imogen, <laughs> do you have any tips? Well, one thing that a lot of Germans do, and uh, which I think is a great way to beat the January blues, is to head out um, skiing or snowboarding somewhere sort of local. I've thought about doing this for a long, long time, actually. I've been in Germany for six years now. Still haven't put it into practice, but this year is mm -hmm. going to be the year that I get out on the slopes, book a skiing holiday, just get out there, try and do it. I, I'm, I'm not a professional do skier. You, do you any. know how to ski? I've skied... Um, Uh, but it was a long time ago, and so I think I might still need some lessons to brush up my skills. <laughs> the other thing is that it's notoriously expensive. Uh, so I've actually just been looking into, like, how do we do this on a budget? And yes. is there a way to have a short break, like the Germans do, get out for the weekend or a long weekend and just get some fresh air and some exercise? What's your biggest tip for doing this if you don't have much money at the moment? So I would say area and ski resorts are absolutely key. So a lot of people think of German skiing, they think of the big sort of alpine resorts down south, Garmisch, Partenkirchen, all of the big names, sort of Zugspitze, big name resorts. But I would recommend looking further afield, looking at the smaller resorts in Harz, in uh, Western Germany, in Saxony. Not only can you get good deals on lift passes here, so it's sort of cheaper to get up uh, to the mountains, but you can also find kind of cheap guest houses, especially if you go in a slightly, slightly out of season. Uh, so I'd say do your research, look further afield than the Alps, and uh, then hopefully you can get out and get some skiing and uh, not break the bank. Really nice. Aaron, do you have any tips? Well, alternatively, you can do what I do and what, in <laughs> fact, many other Germans also do. And you can just get a moderately priced flight south. There's many good connections. I know. I mean, Aaron's tip is to leave Germany. <laughs> sometimes in January, that's just the best thing to do. I mean, look at it outside. <laughs> Sorry. No, I hear you. I hear you. This has been a really hard week as well. It has, yeah. I don't know why, just everyone is feeling it this week. Mm -hmm. Well, it's nice and overcast in Berlin at this time of year, so I'm not terribly surprised. Mm -hmm. I know it's uh, hitting me a little bit. The warm spell, or at least the, the mild spell, uh, is also appearing to be over now. So we had sort of a few weeks of like unusually mild weather. And now I think everyone's a bit shocked that it's suddenly gone into the minus degrees again. They're like, what? This, this feels like winter. That's something that I think is probably affecting people's moods a bit, just how bitterly cold it suddenly got. So true. And I would say that my tip is to check out a sauna or a spa, which the Germans yeah. do very well. You do have to remember, though, that you can't wear a swimsuit if you're going into a sauna and things, but you must take a towel and put the towel down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hygiene, hygiene first, right? Yeah. Make sure you have that. Well, and also, I mean, you know, a proper sauna is hot. 
Yes. Yes. Right. So protection yeah. is good. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, they, there are some great ones all over Germany. And there's even some kind of like spa towns, isn't there, mm. that you can check out. You can go for a day trip and, and things like that. So yeah, I would say just embrace the, the cold weather by getting very hot in a sauna. Mm-hmm. And then it's a relief to go outdoors yes. afterwards. You, you embrace the cold. You're like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, you need it. Great. Well, thank you both so much for today. That's all for this week. And as always, we'll add some links in the show notes for the stories that we've been covering. And yes, thank you very much to our panelists, Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett, as well as Birgit Schneider and our sound engineer, Rhys Edwards. You can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And please leave a review or rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back again next Friday. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.